Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I was telling uh, my wife Lisa the other day that we are living in apocalyptic times. We're living in apocalyptic times, and by that I don't mean the end times necessarily, although if the Lord wants to come back today, that suits me just fine. But apocalyptic here literally means, apocalypsis means to unveil, to reveal something, a time when things are being revealed and a time when things are being unveiled. And you know, it started with the coronavirus lockdown. We began to see uh, hearts were beginning to be revealed. Some, one of the things that we found out, one of the things that was revealed is, uh, is how we actually feel about all those people we live with in our house that we are absolutely confined with, you know. I found out that uh, I really liked my wife. I think she found out that she really liked me. That was a, that was a good thing. I got thumbs up. It's true. All right. So, and, uh, but, you know, we also we found out stuff about our, our neighbors, and, and we found out stuff about our leaders. Some things were good that we found out, and, and some things weren't so good that we found out. But things are being revealed through apocalyptic times like this. Um, and, and then the killing of Mr. George Floyd uh, was an apocalyptic moment for this nation. We saw things revealed about us as a people that we, some of us had not been aware of, some of us had ignored, some of us lived with daily and tried to get the attention of others uh, who, who needed to hear that plight and need to hear that stuff. Um, we saw our eyes were opened to um, really deep wickedness and great injustice in our society. And one of the things I do want to encourage my black brothers and sisters with is that God has heard your cries and these things that you have spoken and pleaded, especially with the white church to hear, are now being revealed. And yes, it may be frustrating that it took uh, everybody in the world having a video uh, capability on their telephone to do it, but I think God in his providence is shining light in his dark, into this darkness, and I would just say forgive us for, for not hearing, and in not hearing, not believing what you said, and in not believing, not acting, and our hearts were revealed by that as well. So please forgive us. Well, today is the second. We're in the second in a series of, of a series about biblical justice, building a foundation of biblical justice. Now, I didn't tell you that uh, this is part two of a two-part series. I didn't tell you last week that it was a series because I knew that the best way to get people not to come to church is to tell them that there's going to be a series on justice. That's like, oh no, I'm going to get I'm going to get yelled at or something at church. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to hear what the Bible has to say about power and privilege and race and justice. God's word is where that foundation is given for how we are to in interact with those, those things. And the means it is the means of extending God's justice into the world around us. The Bible provides us a bracing and a life-giving critique a bracing and life-giving critique of injustice. And even more, the Bible, listen, gives us hope. The Bible gives us hope in a world where injustice is rampant because the Bible doesn't scold us. 
That's one of the reasons people, you know, if you say, hey, we're going to have a series on justice, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get scolded. Brothers and sisters, scolding can condemn, scolding can shame, but it cannot bring authentic change. Instead, the Bible reveals and convicts our personal and corporate sin. And then the Bible gives us a means of addressing that sin, to, to actually deal with sin, our personal sin and our corporate sin, and then it offers us new life in exchange. So when we're talking about biblical justice, we probably need to define our terms. What exactly is biblical justice? Well, ultimately, justice is rooted, listen, this is critical to, to how we're going to unfold this this morning. Justice is rooted in who God is in his own being. So as Christians, we cannot speak of justice as an abstract philosophical the, uh, principle, so, something that, that philosophers might get together in ivory towers and have a conversation about. Justice is not an abstract philosophical principle. No, we know, listen, we know justice as a person. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know justice as a person, and we cannot take any shortcuts here as we kind of think through this biblical foundation, because if we don't get the next few biblical points correct, we will not be able, listen, to do justice in our own time, to do justice in our own day. And the very first thing is this, are you ready? Is, it is that God's character is that he is just. God's character is that he is just, and so the quality of justice is rooted in the person of God. It's inexorably rooted in the person of God. This is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. Uh, in the Torah, it says, The rock, speaking of Israel's God, the rock, his work is perfect, and for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So A.W. Tozer writes this, justice, listen, justice when used of God is a name we give to the way God is, nothing more. And when God acts justly, he is not doing so, this is so important, he is not doing so to conform to an, an independent criterion, but simply acting like himself in a given situation. As gold is an element in itself and can never change nor compromise, but is gold wherever it is found, so God is God, always, only fully God, and can never be other than he is. Everything, listen, everything in the universe is good to the degree that it conforms to the nature of God, and evil as it fails to do so. So here it is. And this is so important right this minute. I mean, this is as fresh and as relevant as the news headlines. It's vital if we want to, if we want to know how to do justice in this moment of our history. Here it is. All genuine justice, all authentic justice, is ultimately rooted in the transcendent justice of God. And to cut justice off from the person of God in favor of some form of secular or non-theistic view is to base justice on mere preference and sentimentality. 
In other words, what happens in a society when you cut off a transcendent foundation, a transcendent reference point for justice, something that is beyond this universe, beyond merely how we feel about stuff this, this very moment. Here's what happens. If you try to do justice without God, somebody eventually, listen, is going to say this. Says who? Do justice. Care for the poor and oppressed. Get rid of racial prejudice and state violence. Somebody is going to say, says who? Why not be a warlord? Why not be unjust? Why not take people's stuff from him? Well, there's a social contract. And somebody's going to reply, I didn't sign a contract. For, for just, and this is the foundational to how we have done justice in the Western world. This is where it all flows from. Somebody didn't get together in the middle of the 18th century with some enlightenment thinkers and said, hey, let's do justice. No, it is all rooted and founded in the fact that the God we know in Jesus Christ, the God revealed in Holy Scripture, the Scriptures that built Western civilization, the Scripture that built Christian civilization, that Scripture says that God is just. And we have to, if we're going to do justice, we must conform to his character. There is no such thing as real objective justice if there's not a transcendent source for justice. As Flannery Connor said, she said, in the, she's talking about cutting off tenderness from the source of tenderness in this. In the absence of faith, listen, in the absence of faith, we govern by tenderness, and tenderness leads to the gas chamber. Here's what we have learned from the experiments of the last century to create a non-theistic, non-Judeo-Christian utopia. Instead of justice, it led to the slaughter of over 160 men, women, and children. And the next attempt to have a godless, just utopia will inevitably end in the same way. Those movements basically lived out the motto, if we can just kill enough of the right people, we will eventually have a just society. But the Old Testament burns with, the, with God's passion for justice. God, the, the Word of God and the Old Testament in particular, every page is aflame with God's passion for justice. Just listen again to Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 through 15 I mean verses 14 and 15 the scripture says justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public square did you hear this brothers and sisters i want you to, to listen the way we think about and reason about justice is not merely some tribal truth just for us people here in this church it's not just for christians the way we think about justice is not just for our little tribe of believers, but it is for the public square. So it says in Isaiah, it says this, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. The truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who, de and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it offended him. Do you hear God's passion for justice? The Lord saw it and it displeased him. Or as it says literally, if you want to literally translate it from the Hebrew, the Lord saw it and it was evil to him that there was no justice. So texts such as Isaiah 59 that we read this morning, and, or Isaiah, 
59 that we read this morning. Isaiah 59, or Proverbs chapter, uh, uh, Pro, excuse me, Psalm 146 that we read this morning. Those, those scriptures use two Hebrew words and their cognates to describe justice. And we need to get this down into us because it's going to help us understand how we do justice today. The first Hebrew word is sadika, uh, sadika, and the cognates of that. And the second one is mishpat, mishpat. So listen, sadika is what we, are, what we would refer to as primary justice. This is it's the justice of the way things are supposed to be. This is, the cre- is creation and relationships as God intended them to be. In other words, sadika represents God's intention that all creation flourish and, listen, be awash in delight. It is God's desire that all of creation would flourish and be awash in delight through right relationship with God, right relationships with other people, and right relationships with all of the rest of creation. And it is the, if you want to see a picture of what Sadiqah justice looks like, all you'd have to do is turn to Isaiah chapter 11, where Isaiah foretold in his vision of the Messianic age that when Messiah would reign over the earth, he said that the wolf, listen, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Now, well, let's just stop. Let me, let me tell you why this is so unusual for folk, people who don't know about wolves and lambs and things like that. Did you ever see that animated feature, Madagascar? You know, you do, you know what I'm talking about? If you didn't, go, you need to go and study this so that it will help you understand justice. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the, the zebra is uh, on a Madagascar island. All these animals were in a zoo together, and everybody was okay because they were all getting fed in the zoo. The zoo boat crashes, and the zebra and the lion are released on the Madagascar. And after a while, uh, the lion, every time he looks at the zebra, he looks, he looks like a big old steak with legs running around, you know. So, uh, no, lions eat that kind of stuff. Right? That's, not, that's not what they usually do. So the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is the kind of sadika justice. It is a, it's shalom is what it is. It's, it's well-being and delight and flourishing and peace. Now, the other word for justice that is used in these texts is mishpat. And it's God's justice when the righteous order of God and all of relationships, as we just heard, when that order is distorted. Mishpat means giving people, I'm quoting here, giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. Giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. We'd call that rectifying justice or corrective justice. So our psalm today reflects that corrective, restorative justice. In Psalm 146, it says of God that God upholds the cause of the oppressed 
and gives food to the hungry. What's happening is things that are out of order, things that are not rightly relating to God and to one another, they're being dealt with. God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. Disability and disease are not a part of God's good created order. He's reordering it and bringing mishpat. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the immigrant. Listen, listen. The Lord watches over the immigrant, the foreigner, and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. So that's corrective justice at work. Now, what is, what do we need to talk about this a little, we need to dig a little deeper here you know, and talk about what is the source of injustice and what does unjust, injustice look like? What does it look like? What's the character of it? Well, over and over in the Old Testament, such as the psalm that we just read this morning, we see that oppressing or mistreating the fatherless or the widow or the immigrant or the poor are considered grave injustices. Mistreating the fatherless, the orphan, the widow. And boy, we don't just have fatherlessness because of orphans. We have a pandemic of fatherlessness in our culture, and we are to do justly by those. The fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor, none of those people have power in society. And to oppress any category there is a grave injustice. If we were to read just... um, A chapter prior to the chapter we read in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, says that oppressing your workers, if you treat your workers unjustly, that's a form of injustice and God hates that. Or quarreling and fining in that same chapter, Isaiah 58, verse 4, says that quarreling and fighting are injustice. You know what you do on Facebook. And in the text from this morning, Isaiah 59, verse 4, Injustice looks like the disordering. This is, we're we're getting more and more focused on the present moment we find ourselves in right now. In that text, we see injustice in the disordering of the legal system. Isaiah 59, verse 4. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity, and that is followed by violence and the shedding when, when, when the very core of justice in the legal system is turned to injustice, it leads to violence and the shedding of, the scripture says, innocent blood. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds, uh, and deeds of violence are in their hand. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. And we see all of these forms of injustice in our society today. And here, and just again, we're getting even more focused. Here's what made the killing of George Floyd particularly egregious. This is what what made this um, stand out as as a particular onerous and wicked injustice. It's not that it was just the unjust taking of a human life an image bearer of God, which it was, even as he cried out for mercy and pleaded for his life. It's not just that. It was that the very agents of society who were given the responsibility 
the sacred responsibility for rep it's a sacred responsibility because where does justice come from? It comes from the character of God. So it's sacred. So the very agents of society given the responsibility for representing justice itself actively denied George Floyd justice in those nine minutes of his dying on the pavement. You see, the police are the only people in our society who in the name of justice can deprive you of your freedom without judicial action. In other words, they're the only people who can arrest you. They don't have to go and say, hey, listen, I'm going to go down to the courthouse and we're going to get, I'll get a warrant. No, if you're in the midst of committing a, a crime, they can arrest you without seeking any judicial involvement. We give them that kind of authority. The police are the only people in our society who we give the authority to take the life of a, of a fellow citizen without a court action if their duty in that moment calls for it. That is an astonishing amount of responsibility. It is a sacred trust that we have given them, but ultimately it finds and resides in the God of justice. The very people we entrusted with that kind of extraordinary power for the purpose of doing justice were the source of injustice. That's why this is singular. At least it's singular in the sense of it's worse than merely taking the innocent life. It's taking the unjust taking of life by those who are meant to protect life. And that kind of injustice meted out by those who wield the authority of the state has been the lived experience of black people in this country for generation after generation after generation. That's what injustice looks like. But where does that kind of injustice come from? Well, according to Isaiah 59, verse 13, Israel's injustice, whether personal and individual or corporate, okay? This applies to us individually, Israel, God's covenant people, the church, God's covenant people. So whether it is injustice on a personal individual level or on a corporate level comes from this source. And I'm quoting directly from Isaiah. It is the direct result of transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. So where does injustice come from? It, it comes from rejecting and denying the Lord and turning away and following God. That opens the floodgates of injustice. And the contemporary secular, the contemporary secular attempt to have a just and free society absent of God is a novel experiment. It's never happened before, but it's going on right now in Western Europe. It's going right now on right now in the United Kingdom. It's going right on right now in the U.S. More and more it's going on in, in New Zealand and in Canada and all of the Western world. We're trying to disconnect justice from any reference to God. And it is inevitably doomed to failure. We've never done this before. We are at present living in what, what uh, Dr. Oz Guinness has called a cut flower society. Listen to what he says. He says, we find ourselves in an extraordinary situation. Our Western world is in decline because we are a cut flower civilization. And if you look at many of the important things in the West, a high view of truth, a high view of human dignity, and a high view of freedom, equality, of, of, of justice, all these need roots. But they have been cut off. Of course, they are rooted in the scriptures. The Old and the New Testament 
affirm human dignity because we are made in the image of God. We are image bearers. Now, here's what it means, brothers and sisters, the cut, cut flower analogy. If I go over to Trader Joe's and I get a nice bouquet of cut flowers, they're going to be, they're absolutely beautiful. I think they have great flowers. And I take them home and I say, look, these are beautiful flowers. Oh, those are beautiful flowers. They look really good. And you know what? They look like they're alive, but they're dying because they're cut off from their roots. When a society cuts off the roots, the roots to the transcendent God, justice will die. For there to be any hope of justice and equality, we need to return to the source of those qualities, the God who revealed himself in Scripture. And you know, there was a time when we acknowledged this. We, the people of the state of North Carolina, this is the preamble to the North Carolina State Constitution. This is our foundational legal document as a state. We, the people of the state of North Carolina, grateful to Almighty God. Did you know that's in your founding legal document? Grateful to Almighty God, the sovereign ruler of nations for the preservation of the American Union and the existence, grateful to God for the existence of our civil, political, and religious liberties and acknowledging our dependence upon Him for the continuance of these blessings to us and our posterity do for the more certain security thereof and for the better government of this state, ordain and establish this Constitution. We need to get back to the root. The gospel, lest we think otherwise, is about justice. It is about the right ordering of our relationship with God and with other people. Justice and gospel are not separate categories. In fact, we heard Jesus' very first sermon preached. This was the inaugural sermon of the gospel. What did it say that he came to do? In Luke chapter 4, verses 17 and following, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Mishpat! To, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Justice! Mishpat! To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, I showed up here today to do justice. It's not a separate thing from the gospel. In fact, the full gospel of Jesus is not that Jesus died to save your soul so that you can go to heaven when you die. In fact, that's not even biblically correct in and of itself. Jesus died and rose again so that you might have eternal life and be raised up in him on the last day and live forever in a new heavens, a new earth, and rule with him in his kingdom. But even that is not the full gospel. The full gospel is that Jesus died and rose from the dead in order to restore all things. That's what it says in the book of Acts. Peter talked about it, the restoration of all things, waiting for the restoration of all things. That's the consummation of the gospel. Apocatastasis. I'm just glad I got to use that, sentence, uh, that word in a sentence today. 
Apocatastasis, the restoration of all things. That's the fulfillment of the gospel. Yes, Jesus saved my soul, thanks be to God, but that's not all he did. He's going to save everything. And, and, and justice is going to roll down like rivers and righteousness like a never-ending stream. That's what he came to do. That's the messianic project. That is the gospel. And if you separate, if you try to tease out justice from personal salvation, you're going you're to kill justice and you're going to kill personal salvation. He came to bring an end to economic injustice, racial injustice, the injustice of disease and disability, the injustice of oppression and bondage. And part of the gospel-centered, church, uh, the gospel-centered church's failure in recent years is that we have withdrawn, pulled back from doing justice because we have associated that kind of talk, doing justice, with a form of Christianity that rejects the authority of Scripture and the core tenets of our faith. And we say, ooh, we don't want to be like those people. And so, so for some reason, we thought we can't do justice at all now because those people who don't believe the Bible are out there doing that. That's a bad reason to stop doing justice. And we left a vacuum that was filled with other visions of justice that do not lead to human flourishing, but rather to gulags and genocide in their end. So with that foundation... Here is here's our, our action list today. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you, O man? But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so here's what God calls us to do this morning, brothers and sisters. He calls you as an individual, and he calls us corporately as Christ church to this. Do justice. Well, how do I do that? Well, we're doing some of it right now through feeding the hungry. That's what the food pantry does. But maybe God has called you to the sphere of public policy. You know, I'm a big believer in localism. And so where, where can I see locally the things that are out of line, that need the mishpat justice of God to bring correction? Is something in, in my city government, there's something I could do there? In my county government? Is there something in my neighborhood? Is there, is there something that I can be doing? Can I be speaking into something? Going, to, good Lord, have mercy. We may have to go to a meeting downtown. That would just be, that would be, oh my goodness, that's egregious, it's so hard. Sometimes you have to do that to do justice. Do not be silent in the face of injustice. Don't let the peer pressure of your social set shut you up. Especially don't let it shut you up in, in saying the name of Jesus as you do acts of justice. We don't have any other, we don't have any other way to do it. You see, God will judge us for how we live out our faith in Jesus, who is the restorer of all things. And so, brothers and sisters, let's, let's seek the face of God. Read the word of God. Cry out to God. In fact, in our prayers of the people this morning, as we're praying for the life of this congregation, ask God, God, how would you have us as a group of people to do justice today in the name of Jesus, fulfilling the gospel purpose for your church? So let's go do justice. Let's love mercy. Let's walk humbly with our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.